I don't know if you've ever heard the saying before, good things come in little packages. Uh, I remember my parents telling me that when I was you know, just a young child. I, I was rather distraught uh, over the fact that my brother's Christmas gift under the tree was far bigger than the one that had my name on it. And, uh, and my parents said, you know, don't worry, you haven't even opened anything yet. Uh, you don't know what's inside. Good things come in little packages. And uh, uh, I was, you know, a little skeptical at first, uh, but it uh, turned out my parents were right. Um, I, I was happy. And uh, I, I remember my parents telling me that several years later, quite a few years later, when I was once again distraught because I was by far and away the littlest kid in my class, shortest kid in, in the school. I hated school pictures, you know, I had all these people and then me and then uh, it was like this. And it was just like proof that I was tiny compared to all my classmates. And my parents said, hey, you know, good things come in little packages. And uh, I'm not sure I really bought it uh, at that point uh, when it came to myself. But, you know, it was supposed to make me feel better. But when it comes to this morning's sermon by request, uh, it is definitely true. This person uh, wrote that they've always wanted to hear a sermon on the book of Jude. And Jude is one of the shortest books, smallest books in the Bible. I could read the entire thing to you out loud in less than four minutes this morning. And I know that because I tried this week just to see. And uh, uh, it, it would happen. But um, even though it's small, it is uh, packed with powerful and important message uh, for us this morning. And so we're going to take a look at that. So I, again, encourage you to open your Bibles to the book of Jude. You'll be able to kind of follow along as we'll look at several verses there. I'm not going to read the entire thing to you as we get started. Uh, just the first two verses in the, which are the greeting. And he says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James to those who are the called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Again, Father God, we're just so grateful for the opportunity we have to be together this morning. And we just ask right now that your spirit would work freely in this place, in our hearts and our minds, to accomplish the work that you would like to do today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the book of Jude, very short, uh, 25 verses, can be divided very easily into three main sections. And I, and I guess actually it'd be five sections since the first two verses are an introduction, you know, greeting, and, and, and the last two verses are a doxology. But the main bulk of the book between verses 3 and 23 can be divided into three distinct divisions, and just for the fun of it, since I hardly ever do this, I decided I'm going to use that classic preaching uh, technique of alliteration. Uh, we're going to do that this morning, you know, where each point starts with the same letter. So uh, we are going to be looking at the announcement of apostasy, the anatomy of apostasy, and the antidote to apostasy. So you can follow that along uh, as we're doing that this morning. Uh, but before we do that, let's, let's do take a quick look at the greeting he gives uh, so we know 
well, who's uh, teaching and what's going on here. The author, uh, according to verse 1, uh, he actually identifies himself in three ways, but first by telling you his name, uh, Jude. Uh, Jude is short for Judas, uh, which is the Greek term, uh, which uh, is from the Hebrew name Judah. And as you can imagine, Judah was a very popular name uh, among the Jews. Uh, you know, two out, of, two out of 12 disciples had the name uh, Judas, but after Judas Iscariot uh, became uh, infamous for his betrayal of Jesus, Jesus, it seems like some other people, especially followers of Jesus, whose names were Judas, decided they didn't want to be connected with that nefarious fellow, so they shortened their name to Jude. That's a nickname. So that's how we get his name. But he also identifies himself as the brother of James. And most likely, uh, this refers to James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was the leader of the fledgling church there in Jerusalem. And, and that would fit uh, description-wise with what was said about Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13, where they were trying to identify who Jesus was. And they said, well, is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his his brothers, James, the, the oldest, listed first, and Joseph and Simon and Judas. And, and uh, so Jude uh, was, was probably that guy, half-brother of Jesus himself then, and he gives himself one more uh, identification mark. He calls himself a bond servant or literally a slave of Jesus Christ. So in humility, he is not, you know, holding on to some high position uh, simply because of his connections. Like every other believer in Jesus, he's identifying himself, I'm just a slave. I'm a slave of Jesus. I'm submitted to him. That's who I am. So he identifies that. Then he identifies who he's uh, writing to, the recipients of the letter, and he also uses three identification marks for them. And of course, by extension, these three things would also apply to us. So these, these things are true of us. And he says, first of all, that we are the called. Every true believer in Jesus Christ is here because we have been called by God. And then that says we're beloved by God, which, which is awesome when you think of it, right? That means God's not just putting up with us. He's not just tolerating you. He, he loves you as, as, a, as a, a doting father. And then it says that we are kept, indicating that God is the one who by his power and his responsibility uh, is choosing to preserve us. So, you know, if you're, if you're ever having like a bad day, this is a great verse to read. Because it reminds you of, of what God says is true of you. This is who you are. You're, you're called, you're beloved, and you're kept for Jesus Christ. So just, just a great thing right there in the, in the greeting. But uh, So now let's move on to the main bulk of the letter. In, in the first uh, of the three main sections, uh, which is, uh, he, he, he makes the announcement of apostasy. And, and since apostasy is the focus of all three of these main sections, uh, let's, let's make sure we define the term so we all know exactly what we're talking about that. Apostasy does not uh, refer to someone who follows another religion like, like Buddhism or, or Islam or, or something like that. And it's not talking uh, about the person who is irreligious or even anti-religious. Right? The, the atheist who's shaking his fist at God and saying, I don't believe there's anybody up there. 
That's not what the Bible calls an apostate or apostasy. Um, all of those people would be grouped together in just one category biblically and called unbelievers. They're just, that, that's just who they are, okay? Um, and, and it's the people that we're called to, uh, to love and to reach and, uh, with the gospel. But uh, an apostate is someone who formerly claimed to be a Christian, right? They said they were a believer. They said that they were following the Christian faith. And then they have come out and renounced that faith, rejected that faith, walked away from it. The, the Greek word uh, for apostasy has, has the meaning of defection, a departure, a revolt, or a rebellion. And it literally means a falling away, but it carries with it the idea of a deliberate falling away. So this is not, again, it's not talking about the Christian or the believer who is maybe wrestling with some doubts or, or grappling with fears. Uh, there are plenty of Bible characters, including some of the heroes of the faith, who spent a great deal of time wrestling with doubts and fears. That's, that's uh, normal within the Christian life. And it's not even talking about someone who has fallen into sin or, or even that person who really struggles with a besetting sin that just seems to get them over and over again. Rather, an apostate is one who willfully abandons the faith that they once claimed to have fallen. And, and, and maybe some of you have heard about a, a rather high-profile case of that exact thing that took place just this summer, and actually there's quite a bit of it happening around us in the world right now. But uh, uh, if some of you may have heard of Joshua Harris, who became uh, very famous for writing the book uh, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, and up until recently was pastoring a, a very large church in, in Maryland, and he announced in July that he no longer considers himself a Christian and he is uh, renouncing his faith. He left the church, um, decided this summer to also leave his wife, and he was last seen in British Columbia marching in Vancouver's uh, Gay Pride Festival. And since there was a deliberate rejection of his Christian faith, that's what the Bible would call apostasy. But there's also actually a second form of apostasy that the Bible talks about, uh, just slightly different emphasis. And, and this uh, says that an apostate, uh, apostasy, can be a person who still claims to be a Christian, but they have rejected the cardinal doctrines of the faith, such as the person and, and the work of Jesus Christ and, and uh, what it means to be saved. And you would be shocked. I mean, I get letters and emails and, and articles and stuff all the time. You'd be shocked at how many pastors in, in America, in the United States, are standing in the pulpit uh, Sunday after Sunday, and they say that, you know, Jesus wasn't really the Son of God and that he didn't rise from the dead. You don't have to really believe in the resurrection. It's just kind of a spiritual thing. And, and that he doesn't really forgive sins. It's a psychological thing. And on and on and on they'll go denying uh, all these things that the Bible says is, is essential for belief and salvation in Jesus Christ. Uh, they frequently also uh, reject then many of the Bible's moral teachings, especially yeah, in, in the area of sexuality, which, of course, leads 
to all kinds of uh, error and, and sinful practices. And again, I want to make it clear, we're not talking about someone who is struggling with sin. I mean, that'd be all of us, right? We, we have those struggles. This is a complete acceptance of sinful behaviors as normal and good. And they do this, accepting these things and rejecting the cardinal truths about Jesus Christ, and they do that while claiming to be Christians. And this is the kind of apostasy that Jude seems to be dealing with and emphasizing in his book. Look, look at the way he uh, announces the apostasy. He starts in verse 3 by sharing and describing his heart. He says, Beloved, while I was uh, making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. Now, you see there, Jude's original plan and goal was to be able to write to this church or churches uh, that he's uh, working with and overseeing uh, about their common salvation. He, he wanted to focus on salvation, how awesome and great our salvation is, how good God's grace is, that it's greater than, and than all our sins and, and about the transforming power of the gospel to change lives. That's, that's what his plan was, but something happened. And, and, and perhaps he heard about things that were going on uh, in that church or, or those churches and he realized, man, these people are in danger. They, they faced a threat that perhaps they weren't even uh, aware of. And as a pastor, he knew it was part of his responsibility to protect the flock from peril. And, and so uh, he makes this appeal uh, to them to contend, to fight for, to stand up for the faith. Now, and whenever you see that term faith like that with that definite article, the, in front of it, the faith, it's not talking uh, about that subjective aspect of your personal faith in Jesus. It's referring to the body of beliefs, the, the written um, uh, doctrines and teachings that Christians hold on to. That's the faith. Um, you know, we believe that... Uh, there's one God in three persons. We believe that Jesus Christ died for something. That's the faith, the body of teachings. And, and notice what he says about the faith. He says that it was once for all handed down to the saints, past tense. And that means that all the teachings that God determined that we need for a, as a church, right, for faith, for godliness, for life, that they were given to the church right from the very beginning. It was taken care of, it says, once for all. It was done. And, and that way, uh, you know, if you ever come across uh, a book or a teacher or someone claiming to be providing some new teaching, a new revelation from God, uh, you know right up front that that is faulty and, and, and should be distrusted because God himself has declared that he gave it all to us right from the beginning. It's been handed down um, from then. And, and that's important to keep in mind, right? Because uh, these, these new teachings can sound enticing. They can present a, a certain attractive allure to us, uh, uh, usually because they, they play right into the, the baser human desires for 
you know, wealth and pleasure and comfort and that kind of thing. And that's what was happening to the church that Jude was writing to. Look at verse 4. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for con- this condemnation, ungodly persons who turned the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny the only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So see, in, in announcing this apostasy, apostasy, notice what Jude says about them. At first it says uh, that they crept in unnoticed, unnoticed in the church. Do you know what that means? That means they look like everybody else. Right? That's how you creep in unnoticed. Uh, Outwardly, they appeared to be Christians. They fit right in with the congregation. They sang the songs with gusto. They said amen at all the right places in the sermon. Amen? Amen. Oh, sorry. We're just waiting for that. They, uh, you know, they they played, uh, they prayed eloquent prayers. There was no obvious red flags when you looked at them. That's how you creep in unnoticed, right? Now, it, it fooled the, the congregation, but it didn't fool God. It says they, they were already marked out for this condemnation. Well, condemned why? Well, notice what they did. Apparently, slowly convincingly they began to change the teachings of the church which means they had to have worked themselves into positions of authority and leadership teaching classes you know sunday school blts uh, you know the small groups the different things like this and they spoke about god's grace isn't it great to speak about god's grace they spoke about god's grace but in a way that twisted it to give them permission to sin. And then they began teaching, uh, changing the teachings about Jesus so that it made him out to be someone that he wasn't. When it says that they were denying our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it, it didn't mean that they stood up in church and said, hey, everybody, let's not believe in Jesus anymore uh, because what would you do? Yeah, hit the door, you know, don't, don't let the door hit you on the way out type of thing. Um, you get rid of them. So when they're denying Jesus, they were denying him by teaching untruths about Jesus. Making him out to be someone that, that he's not, that, that the Bible would clearly say um, is different from, uh, from the, the, the Jesus presented in Scripture. And you know that same thing is going on today. Just like back then, we need to be aware that not everyone who claims to be a Christian or a pastor or a preacher or teacher or church leader is truly following Jesus. There are some in the church, and when I say church, I'm not meaning our local congregation. I mean the whole body of believers worldwide. There are some within the church who have their own agenda, an agenda that always ends up taking advantage of people either financially or morally or both. And Jude's announcement of apostasy ends with a reminder that, yeah, this didn't take God by surprise and God always brings judgment upon those who defy him. 
and, and Jude does this, he gives us this reminder by giving us three examples. So in verse five, he talks, uh, tells us that God, hey, remember God did not hesitate to destroy even out of his own people that he had just rescued from Egypt. He did not hesitate to destroy those who chose to abandon him to not, uh, to not believe. And then verse six talks about angels whom God created to serve him who rebelled and, and God is, is holding them in bondage for the day of judgment, some of them. And, and then verse seven uh, speaks of the judgment that God poured out on Sodom and Gomorrah for what he calls gross immorality. And he says these things, they serve as an example for us of the eternal punishment that God will mete out someday to, to these apostates. So the day is coming when they will be judged. But in the meantime, Jude is saying, hey, I'm warning you. Be aware. Look out. This type of thing is happening, and it's happening with you in your churches. So after announcing the apostasy, he moves on to describe the anatomy of, uh, of apostasy so that we can recognize uh, these people. Once, once you get beneath that veneer of Christianity, that outward appearance that, that looks so good, these people... Uh, uh, are, are described so we can, can know what they're like. And, and uh, we don't have time to, to dive into it completely this morning. Verses 8 through uh, 16 uh, describes this, but it can really be summed up in, in uh, uh, one verse that Jude gives a picture of uh, some Old Testament examples, three examples from the Old Testament in verse 11. He says, woe to them, talking about the apostates, for they have gone the way of Cain and for pay they have rushed headlong into the air of Balaam and perished in the rebellion of Korah. So three examples he gives from the Old Testament. The way of Cain is an example of someone who has decided to do religion his own way, right? You, you can, in Christian religion, I mean, it's, he's still using the name of God, but he's gonna do it his own way. And you can read his account starting in Genesis chapter 4. Cain uh, was Adam and Eve's son, right? He had a brother named Abel, and it is understood that God had prescribed certain sacrifices and offerings that were to be presented to him. And uh, he had explained what was acceptable and what was not. Most likely, he gave this information to Adam and Eve uh, just as they were, were kicked out of uh, the garden. And, of course, they would have had the responsibility to pass that on to their, their children and so forth and so on. So, so Cain knew what was going on here, but Cain decided he was going to do his own thing, right? He's a farmer, and, and God should be happy. God should be satisfied with the work of his hands. I mean, why should he have to go to his brother and get a, a lamb from his brother's flock when he did all this work anyway so he decided he's going to bring his own thing his own way of worshiping God do it his 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 own way and God was not pleased and, and you know the rest of that story the heart of a an apostate always leans that way God said this but I don't really want to do it that way I should be able to make my own way to please God, my own path to heaven. I don't need to really follow what the Bible says or be involved with church. And this kind of person mixes in some of what the Bible says 
with their own ideas of what religion should be. And again, we see a lot of that going on today, a mixture of Christianity with people's own ideas. I just was looking up a couple quick examples, and it only took me minutes to find examples of this. I read a blog uh, this week from a guy who claims to be a Christ-based holistic healer. And he uses crystals, which are supposed to give uh, certain powers to help you. He's, you know, he's mixing in these new age uh, teachings with them. And he justified it. Here's how he says, well, you know, they used uh, crystals in the Bible, so it must be okay for us to use them. And his example of that was uh, that the priests wore gems on their garments. So, you know, hey, God must be happy with healing crystals. I don't know how he went from that leap, from decoration to that, but, but uh, that's, what, that's what these people do, right? Take a little bit of the Bible and mix in their own thing. And came across another uh, woman who uh, was uh, doing, uh, uh, using the mystical ancient Japanese uh, practice of Reiki and chakra, maybe you've heard of that, for balancing healing sessions, claiming that it was Jesus that gave her the power uh, to do these methods, even though they, they are clearly um, anti-scriptural. They are going the way of Cain. They're adding their own stuff to what God says. It's apostasy. And then Jude gives the example, uh, uh, the error of uh, Balaam. And again, I would encourage you to read his account in the book of Numbers, chapters 23 through 24, uh, a great account there to read. But basically, because of his desire for riches, he found a way to lead God's people into compromise. So, So basically, he fooled God's people. He tricked them so that he could get lots of money. Have you ever heard of that going on today? Fleecing God's flock? I mean, all you have to do is turn on the TV to see that happening all over the place. And by the way, I'll say that there's some very, very good preachers on TV too. Don't, don't, don't misunderstand me. Um, but you have to be careful and discerning. The Apostle Paul warned against greed when he said, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. If some so-called preacher is seeming to be a whole lot more about money than anything else, boy, that's a red flag, isn't it? Finally, Jude talks about the rebellion of Korah, and you can find details about him also in the book of Numbers, chapter 16. And his issue was authority. He didn't want to submit to the leadership of Moses, which meant in reality to the, to the leadership of God. He didn't like the way Moses was doing things. He didn't like the restrictions that were placed on him or many people. And see, most apostates will chafe against authority. They'll have a tough time submitting to others. They, they, they'll have a tough time submitting, just as an example, maybe to, to their denomination that they're under. And so, hey, they're going to go off and they'll start their own a church with no accountability. They're the ones uh, that are in charge, which, by the way, is, is what happened with Joshua Harris in a, in a position where there was no accountability. The apostate wants to be his own 
authority. And as you read uh, through uh, verses 8 through 16, you'll see those three characteristics coming out frequently. And unfortunately, the Bible warns us that that kind of apostasy is going to be prevalent in the church. Not, not just present here and there. It's going to be widespread. And especially as the time of the end draws near, we can expect more and more of it. Fortunately, Jude doesn't leave us hanging with no hope, right? After the announcement of apostasy and, and then the anatomy here describing it, he starts in verse 17 to give us the antidote for apostasy. He says, but you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying to you in the last days, uh, times, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. Now, there's actually two encouragements for us in, in those particular verses as we look to fight off the possibility of apostasy in our own congregation or in our own lives. And, and the first one is, is the warning itself that we can and, it, and should expect these things to happen. Don't let it take you by surprise. I don't know about you, but I mean, I, I, I just get mad when I see a man or a woman standing up in the pulpit in the name of Jesus and then, and then fleecing the flock of God to line their own pockets. Makes me angry. But this kind of spiritual abuse, again, is not taking God by surprise. So don't let stuff like that happening make you think that, man, things are out of control here. Somehow God's lost a handle on what's happening down here on earth. No, he told us uh, that we could expect this so that we're not taken in unawares. But the second encouragement from these verses comes and this is where the antidote uh, for apostasy really begins. Jude tells us, remember. You catch that in the verse? Remember the words. What words? Uh, what the apostles taught. And we have these words for us right here, written down in black and white in God's word. So this is really a call for us to always and forever take everything we hear back to the word of God. From the Bible, we know that we can't and we shouldn't believe someone just because they say they're a Christian or a preacher or Christ-centered healing practitioner or whatever. God has warned us that there's going to be charlatans out there so that we wouldn't be duped by them simply because they have a few Bible verses on their website or they use Jesus' name. Don't, don't get caught up in the hype. Instead, take your time to, to, to firmly stand on God's unchanging truth. Remember the words that were spoken to you and then compare the things you hear and the things you see, especially what they do, to what God's word says. The next part of the antidote comes in verses 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. All right, so if you're looking for just the inoculation, the shot that you can take against apostasy in your own life and, and that of, uh, of our church, you find it in these two verses, right? It says we safeguard ourselves by building ourselves up in the faith. So how do you build yourselves up in the faith? Well, we do that through Bible study is one key, right? 
and by that, personal Bible study as well as group, corporate Bible study. Personal Bible study is great because God can, can uh, speak right into your life each time you're looking into His Word. But corporate Bible study, small groups, uh, church is essential because that's where our accountability comes in and helps make sure we don't get sidetracked or, or off. We can also build ourselves up in the faith through fellowship being together with other Christians, talking about God and, and, and what God's doing in our lives, worshiping God through, through songs, learning to meditate on God's Word. Let it percolate in your brain all day long. Let it bring it back uh, to you. Worship on the character of God, His, His goodness and, and, and His mercy and His love. Uh, do that throughout the day. Memorize scriptures. These are ways that we build ourselves up in the faith. Another way you build yourself up is what the verse uh, leads to next. It says praying. And again, I think he's talking about both that personal time of prayer that you spend, but also that corporate time of praying together. It's powerful to be able to pray. You're building that relationship with God. You're building yourself up in the faith. Then it says to keep yourself. In the love of God. You want to you protect yourself from apostasy? Keep yourselves in the love of God. You want to say, well, how do I do that? I mean, God loves me. How do I, what, how's that supposed to work? Well, uh, Jesus actually made it clear uh, that we do that through obedience. Just one example, John uh, chapter 14, he says, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father and will we, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him, right? Now, again, uh, this verse is not saying we earn God's love by keeping his commandments. It says we experience it most fully and freely in his obedience. That's how we keep ourselves in experiencing the love of God is through that obedience. That's what God wants from us. Why? So that we can fully and completely experience his love in our lives. And then finally, it, it tells us a strong antidote for apostasy is to keep our eyes focused on the prize, right? Waiting anxiously, it says. Waiting anxiously for Jesus Christ to eternal life. That's looking forward to what God has for us. Keep your eyes focused there and it will keep you from being distracted by or led astray by false claims of spirituality down here. So that's how, we, that's how we do it. That's how we build ourselves up and protect ourselves from the false teaching, which the Bible clearly says is going to be everywhere. We need to be aware of that. And then he ends with a couple of my favorite verses in the Bible, a great doxology which is how we're going to end. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so thankful that you have given us this information in advance, that you have warned us about what we need. Lord, we, we know that we, we wish we could just trust everybody who says they're a believer, who says they're a Christian, who stands behind a pulpit, but we know we need to be discerning. We need to be careful. We need to compare everything to your word. So God, help us to be those types of Christians. And now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling 
and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Uh, if you would stand and join us for the last song.